Frenny Nash, plugged and unplanned. Welcome back. And today I'm super excited because I have Harry Dent, a very, very successful um, author, but also um, visionary, futurist, um, sage of the financial markets. And, and Harry, welcome to the program. Yeah, nice to be here, Tony. Great. Um, you've, you've been fairly prolific prolific writing books, um, and they've been going on for many years, but that's not your main job. You do that as part of your journey, I guess. You Just tell us a little bit about you know where you've come from, so those that have never heard of you before, which I'm sure are very far and few, but um, let, let's hear a bit about the, the Harry Dent story. Well, you know, Tony, I, 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 I'm what I call an accidental economist. I did not choose to be an economist. I did make it my major in uh, college. But after three courses, I said, these people don't know. They don't even think you can predict the future. I'm like, I'm into predicting the future, damn it. And so I went into business instead of accounting and finance and undergraduate and then business strategy and marketing in uh, at Harvard Business School. And I consulted to Fortune 100 companies at Bain & Company coming out of there. And, you know, that was a dream job. Bain & Company is still the top two companies in the U.S. to get a job because uh, they are so good and so smart. But I, I was bored working with large companies because large companies are the past. They're the dinosaurs. I, so I started working for younger entrepreneurial companies uh, in the early 80s. And that's where I learned that's where I got my PhD. Not my MBA was Harvard Business School, but and, and very good. But I got my PhD from working with small businesses that were doing new things, creating the future, not high tech. This was not high tech stuff. Um, and I discovered the S curve, how things progress into the mainstream slowly at first. Like I, I'm telling you, my. Tony, my biggest problem is I am telling people today, and I am serious about this, I can predict all the key economic trends that will affect your life, your business, your family, your investments over the rest of your lifetime. And you know what people look at me and say? No, no, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. It's like Henry Ford said, you know, what did people want? A faster horse instead of a car. I'm giving a car here. And I tripped on it through my consulting. I was not an economist. I did not want to be an economist because, first of all, they ne never run a business and never get laid, okay? So not, not the greatest profession. I just, through my own business pursuits, I found, oh, my gosh, people drive our economy. It's not government policy. not Keynesian versus Austrian and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Hey, that makes a difference. But no. And, and I, I, I met my father-in-law, uh, my first wife, and he was an all he was a wealthy guy that inherited money, but he wasn't, you know, uh, a show off. He, he I, a lot of respect from him. Very practical. And he got me in all these gold bug newsletters back there in the late 70s, early 80s. And I, and that's where I discovered cycles. I'm like, oh, that that's where I said, oh, I'm into cycles. And back then, the cycle was rising inflation and gold was the greatest hedge. And now today, what, what's happening? Everybody's buying gold. They're idiots. 
Gold is not the solution. We're in a deflationary crisis. So I discovered all of this by having to look at the baby boom generation. My clients, after I got out of Bain & Company from Fortune 100 companies, again, dealing with older clients from the past, the Bob Hope generation, I call them, I had to discover the baby boom generation. And first thing I looked at, oh my God, two things. This is a giant generation. There's never been a birth wave like this. And they're going to enter the workforce and do all these great things. And secondly, I understood they were a changed generation. They were going to change everything from genes to cars to, you know, everything as they grew up. That, that's just the, the generation before them were more conformist. And they were individualistic in the change generation. And that vibe with me. So, so I got these insights early on by accident, really, I, by accident. Um, but the only thing I would attribute to myself, I understood how important it was. I understood how big this generation was. I, I understood why people drive the economy. That's why economists couldn't figure it out. They're looking at government policies and governments only react. They're the caboose. They're not the engine. They're not the train. Consumers and businesses are the train. And so them and the baby boom generation told me early on with the first consumer expenditure surveys ever done by a major government literally thousands of people every year 1981 and since i can tell you like rain man like 46 you know shorts at walmart you know peak and spending uh 58 life insurance you know 84 nursing homes um 27 apartment buildings you know you give me a number, an age, and I can tell you when people spend the most money. It's a fact. Mm. Not individually, but on average. Like life insurance, actually, my best course in college in, in accounting and finance when I realized economics was a dead end. I took an actuary course in accounting. Actuary. You ask an actuary or people are predictable? They'll tell you, you're going to die at 78.6. And if you're 60 years old now, oh, it's going to be 82.5. And if you're a male or female, and if you smoke or not, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, my God. That's the first time I realized somebody could predict the future. And then, Tony, my big aha moment, scientists. Scientists can predict things so far in advance. And, and I discovered this guy, Milankovitch, who came up with three cycles in a hierarchy. And that's, that's important for cycles. I, I'm into cycles and I know a lot of cycle people and most cycle people don't understand the hierarchy of cycles. They had a cycle, an ice age cycle of 100,000 years and another cycle of 41,000 years and another one of 22,000 years. And these cycles, Tony, will tell you the climate, past and future for zillions of years ahead. I'm like, whoa. That's when I, I, that's when I realized cycles, long-term cycles are predictable. The short-term with all the political stuff, like is Trump going to get reelected or not? And, and in the short term, there's many more cycles. In the long term, what scientists have discovered and what I discovered, I have three cycles that matter in the long term. 
three cycles and I have them in a hierarchy and I can tell your grandkids when they're going to have the next Great Depression. And I'm saying we're going to have one in the next two to three years. And people say, Harry, you're crazy. And when I was bullish in the late 80s on America and Europe and the world, and I said Japan was going to collapse, people thought, you're crazy. Japan's the greatest thing ever since sliced bread. No, no, I'm like, no, their baby boom's peaking. They had a bubble in real estate just like we have today and China has today. They had a bubble in their stock market and they collapsed. And you know what? How's Japan doing today? Mm. 30 years later, coma economy. They're printing money to offset a demographic downslide, which I saw back then, which was as predictable as the sun coming up tomorrow morning. I was, nobody really lucky, I, I was really lucky, Harry, to um, log into uh, one of Greg Owen's um, sessions that you did. Oh. And, um, and with all of those slides and all of the, you know, like all of your cycles and all of the information that you laid out, um, and if anyone's listening uh, to to where, where, what's the website that they would go to to try and get your next one of those? You must have one coming up soon um, where you do. Well, yes, yes. Crisis Livestream dot com. Okay. Uh, we're putting on in late August. I think it's August 30th, mm -hmm. Sydney time, you know, in, in, in early morning, midday, uh, a live stream with Robert Kiyosaki, the best-selling author ever in personal finance, and, and a friend of mine, we speak together a lot, of, a lot of events here in the US. He's got the simple personal overview, like David Bach. You know, there, there's a few authors that just capture how do you personally do well and, and think differently about your finances. And I'm like the strategist. I'm like the guy that I, literally, I'm, people say it can't happen. I can tell you what's gonna happen over the rest of your lifetime today. Mm. And people think, no, you can't do that. Yes, I can. I cannot tell you what's gonna happen tomorrow morning in the stock markets. I can guess 60, 70% better, but that's what I do. And, and so we're, for whatever reason, Tony, you know, I've been, obviously I'm in the U.S. and been lecturing here and writing books forever. I, my best audience is in Australia. Mm. I, I think it's because there aren't as many experts there and Greg Owen uh, and GoCo has done such a good job of promoting me, not for uh, being right about everything, but about having a different point of view and having deep research and being not connected to anybody. I don't care. I don't have I don't have to please the government of Australia, the US or Europe or or the ECB or or Merrill Lynch and financial advisors and stuff. I just tell people what I see about them that drives the economy. And because I can predict the economy through people, people understand what I'm talking about. Mm. But I have to get in front of them. If I don't get in front of them, Tony, they would not think what I do is even possible. Yeah, so that, that event, it will be free. I, I logged in onto one of the last ones in the last month or so, and seriously, like for the next two or three nights, I, I had dinner conversation with my wife based on so many of your uh, insights. You know, do you know this about India? India is going to be the next mega, like, oh, did you know this? And did you know, it's just like, like anyone who, who wants to be really informed, I, I highly recommend who's listening to this now, see if you can, if you can log on uh, to that site and, and listen to it. It's free. There's obviously other things later on down the track that people can sign up for investment
programs, but that's that's your choice. But I, I highly recommend to listen to one of Harry's sessions. It was it was amazing, and then to get access to that free PDF, which would normally people would pay twenty grand for to oh, have yeah. those eighty different charts and things that you can study later. I I strongly recommend it. But before we go off, I just want to share with you um, because I also because you don't probably you. I mean, thanks for doing the the session today. You probably don't know much about Booktopia, but um, in a similar kind of way, I I um, went to university and mastered in Space Invaders and Snooker, uh, found in accounting and economics, and dropped out and became the mailboy at um, at one of our insurance companies. Which is remember those movies in the eighties where the guy went around with a little trolley handing out all the you know all the little envelopes where people would yeah. rewrite the name. Right, I was the email system of the early eighties, basically, where I would hand out all the different you know letters that needed to go to each manager. So I, I went on uh, and and became a computer programmer. Um, in, a few years later, got into recruitment for the computing industry, and then when I came back to Australia, I started my recruitment company. Um, three years um, before that, though, I did business school for entrepreneurs with Robert Kiyosaki in Hawaii, a 16-day program, which was, which was really my kind of short, you know, business school kind of Harvard. This is what you need to know and, and get going. So. Booktopia started um, as our fourth business. When I say our, I'm in business with my brother and my sister, my brother-in-law, on a $10 a day budget back in 2004 um, as an evening project. And it took me three days to sell my first book. And by the end of the month, I had done $2,000. By the fourth month, I was up to $30,000 a month. By the end of the year, $100,000 a month. By the end of two years, $200,000 a month. And the interesting thing for me as an entrepreneur is that in the publishing industry, in the book, particularly in the book industry, um, in Australia, everyone was two-dimensional thinkers. Like, you know, the, the world is flat. The world yeah. is flat. And a guy, you probably know him through Robert, Keith Cunningham, who's a... Who's a yes, um, I love Keith Cunningham. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, he was teaching us at business school. Now, I can't do a great Texan accent, but it was like this, you know, Keith Cunningham, you got to think in 3D. You know, like 3D is how you got to think, you know, like, and so... I really worked on that and became a three-dimensional thinker. And it's very interesting as an entrepreneur, which is what you're saying before, how important it is to think three-dimensionally. Because a lot of the stuff that you talk about, when you see insight, when you see trends, when you see cycles, it's because everyone else is looking two-dimensionally. But if you look three-dimensionally, it's just so obvious. And to most entrepreneurs, the more that you can think three-dimensionally, doesn't matter what industry. And in the book industry, it's a, you know, it's like you know, picking candy from a baby because it's like it's like it's just so easy because no one else is thinking that way and the more that you think that way then all of it get gets revealed so it, it, as an entrepreneur it is very interesting to hear what you have and i just wanted to give you a little background about booktopia because today um 16 years on we'll turn over around 200 million aussie this year we have uh, 260 employees about 150,000 square feet of um, headquarters and distribution center, about 22 million in automation, $10 million in stock. And we did our series A capital raise um, only a few months ago of $20 million. So basically everything was generated out of that original 10 bucks. Um, so it's, it was very bootstrapped, uh, but it is one of Australia's biggest and most successful e-commerce businesses. So I uh, just to give you a bit of background of how, you know, why I'm here and why I'm talking to you and why, why it's of interest to me. Um, as as because I mean we're not here to promote your books and I've got a few of them in front of me now and you talk about some of the things obviously as time has gone on some of those books um, are more like oh yeah Harry was right but you wrote them many years ago what's the latest ones now that you 
you would say this is really relevant to today? What What are the ones that you've most recently? Well, written? you know, you know the um, the latest one is Zero Hour, and I, this was in um, right before Trump got elected, and mm -hmm. and I I changed. I was more bearish on the economy until he got elected, and I realized no, he's going to give goodies to corporations, you know, lower taxes. You can't fight that. And uh, but but the the point of this book was we're going through not just a 90 year cycle, which if you look at the stock market since stocks were invented in the late 1700s and stock exchanges, the if you look at the uh, a 250 year chart of stocks, there's only one thing that stands out 90 year bubble cycles. 1837 to 1842, 1929 to 32, and now 2019, 20 into 2020. I predicted after that the baby boom would spend more money in massive numbers into 2007 and then stop spending in the US and Europe, which they did. And we've been living off of what? Quantitative easing, printing money ever since to make up for the lack of spending of these people. Is that good policy? No, that's insanity. Hmm. I, I am like considered a crazy person. I'm standing up on the rooftop saying, this is insanity. You can't look at every downturn and say, Oh, like recently with the COVID-19 you know, crisis. Oh, there's going to be a 20, 30% drop in GDP. So we'll print that much money to make up for it. What? What? Are you playing God, number one, which is dangerous? And are you as an economist that never had sex and run a business? Do you know shit about anything? And they don't. These central bankers, I, they are, I hate to say, it, they're knowledgeable, but they're pathetic. So does that I mean know more from from running a few businesses and downturns and they'll ever know in five lifetimes. Mm. But does that mean then that the 90 year cycle, which has been, I guess, from um, from a um, government fiscal policy, perhaps 90, 180 years ago, they didn't have the same levers that they could pull. Are they just I mean, they're obviously delaying the inevitable. But does that mean that the 90 will kind of could slide out if they just keep doing this and doing that? But in the end, you're going to be bankrupt. In the end, you've got no other option other than to to just implode. Is that how it's going to potentially play out? Yeah. Look, look at this, Tony, real quickly. They printed in the U.S. I'm looking at the U.S. alone. So magnify this by about eight times globally. OK. The U.S. printed $3.7 trillion of free money out of nowhere, injecting it into the financial system, blowing up financial assets more than they're worth, pushing interest rates so low that even a bankrupt government like Japan could keep paying their debt because they're paying nothing. Artificial economy, okay? Look at what they had to do when the repo crisis blew up in September, October of last year. Everybody said, oh, this is a little minor crisis. No, the Federal Reserve had to print $765 billion faster than ever in four months before the virus hit. And then when the virus hit, the government said, oh my God, 
we're going to have a and and they were right and i predicted the same thing they they were able to see we're going to have a depression we're going to have a 20 to 30% downturn in our economy over this covid thing so they printed in the same time it took the federal reserve in the united states to print 3.7 trillion dollars and globally 20 trillion okay so magnify that they printed 3.5 trillion between the repo crisis and the virus in less than a year in eight months so you you get i've been saying this tony forever yes they can print money yes it stimulates the economy it's like taking more crack more heroin whatever it'll get you higher and higher keep you coming down but you will collapse at some point to have to print now 3.5 trillion they've just printed the u.s alone in eight months to stave off the next crisis after the global GFC and they had to print a bunch of money after that to stop it. And and you know what the mistake was Tony? They stopped it. The mistake was they stopped it. The Great Depression central banks only printed a little bit of money, 5% of GDP after the whole economy melted down and a lot of debts were written off. What you want to happen in a downturn after a bubble boom like this is to get rid of bad money, bad debts, bad companies, zombie companies, zombie banks. No, we didn't do it this time. It got so bad that 2008 looked like 1930 and the central bank said, oh, we don't want to have a Great Depression. So they just printed since about $25 trillion. And you know what? They're going to print another 10 or 20 in the next few years. This is insanity. If you think this is going to work out, you're, uh, you're an idiot. I have people in Australia tell me, Harry, you do not understand Australian real estate. I'm like, screw you. I understand it perfectly. My whole career uh, up to 2002 for 22 years was in California, just like Australia. Great people, attractive place to live, good climate, limited real estate, because California is a big desert, just like you. Desert with ocean and mountains, okay? I understand your real estate better than you do, you idiot Australian. You're in a bubble, and you think that real estate's going to go up forever, and you think it's a good thing. It's a horrible thing. Real estate costing so much makes your businesses globally uncompetitive, makes people pay 30, 40, 50% of their income just for their mortgage and property taxes. It's a bad thing unless you're sitting on real estate going up at 20% a year for no good reason. What would it cost to rebuild your house? Not 2% inflation, maybe. Wake up, real estate going up is a bubble, it's bullshit. And you are sitting on that thinking, oh my God, we love our real estate. You know, and, and real estate's the best thing. You know why your money velocity is the lowest in the developed world except for Japan and China? Because all your money goes into real estate speculation. That's not productive investment. Money velocity, I, that's my secret weapon, along with demographics and technology cycles. I can tell you the future and I can tell you who's investing their money properly in the world with one simple indicator, money velocity. And Australia is lower than Europe and way lower than the U.S. Mm. I mean, what people does that know, tell yeah, you? 
I mean, if you're investing in, everyone knows that if you invest in in uh, properties to get a in, to get a passive income, the yeah. the return on investment is just so small. Well, well, you have to rent it out at negative gearing. You have to lose money and hope to make it on appreciation. Is that a good business model? Let me tell anybody in this audience, you think it's good to rent out real estate at a loss for decades and think you're going to make it in the long term because the bubble keeps going? Wake up. Mm. What's wrong with you? That's the worst business model possible. A, a toad, a frog could figure this out and you cannot. I'm like telling Australians, I love Australians because you guys are my favorite people in the favorite part of the world for me. I wish I could move to Australia, but you're dumber than crap when it comes to this real estate bubble. You don't get that you're making money doing nothing and your productivity is going down and is one of the lowest in the world, despite your incredibly good demographics and incredibly attractive lifestyle and place to live. You need to get rid of this real estate bubble, not promote it. This real estate bubble collapsing will be the best single thing that ever happened to Australia because other than that and your debt from government and banks supporting this real estate bubble, when that gets deleveraged, you will be the leanest, meanest, best demographics in the whole Western world sitting on the edge of East Asia, which will no longer be East Asia and China. It'll be Southeast Asia and India in the future. You are could not be positioned as a Western economy better than you. You just got to get rid of this damn stupid real estate bubble and give it up. And the only way to deal with it today, get out of the way. Sell your real estate now. Mm -hmm. You think it's going to go up? I, I can tell. Okay. Uh, I can drive around in Sydney or Melbourne. Okay. What does it take to get a everyday house? A million dollars? A million. Two million <laughs> for a trailer wannabe? Are you kidding me? You don't see something wrong with that? Sell it. Sell it now. Take your money out of this bubble and then reinvest in real investments in future things. You're going to sell products to India and Southeast Asia. That's how you become a billionaire from a millionaire. That's what Joseph Kennedy did, 1929 to 33. He redirected his investments out of stocks into failing companies in the early 30s. And you know who played that better than anybody, Tony? Who? The mafia. Mm. The mafia was in high cash flow, illegal booze industries, okay? Bootleggers in the roaring 20s couldn't have been in a better industry with higher margins. And they took all that cash and then became loan sharks to businesses failing in the Great Depression. And if if they didn't pay them back, what happened? Are you going to pay the bank or are you going to pay Luigi? Okay, you're going to pay Luigi. And if you fail and still can't pay Luigi, they take over your business at 20 cents on the dollar. And so the mafia and Joseph Kennedy played the Great Bubble and the Great Burst and became, went from being, Joseph Kennedy went from being a multi-millionaire in the late 20s to a billionaire political dynasty, you know, in, in the 30s, just by playing that thing. So if you see the bubble for what it is, it's a bubble. Your stupid ass house is not worth a million dollars, okay? If you realize that and sell it for a million and take 800,000 out of it, 
and then reinvest that two or three years from now when it falls and other things fall. That's the way to make money. So when you keep when, your house and think it can't go down, you're an idiot. I'm telling you today, Australian, you're idiots. People tell me I'm an idiot because I'm fighting the real estate bubble and I don't understand it. I understand it perfectly. You're idiots for holding this stupid houses that are not worth a million to two million dollars for a glorified trailer in Sydney or Melbourne. So when do you, when's the last, um, as a predictor, as a, a forecaster, when, when do you see like the, um, the last year or date that the crash will and must happen by? When do you feel that we're going to really hit the edge of the drop off and then we're going down? Is, have you got any firm number, firm date? You know, I, I do, Tony. It's harder in the short term, especially when governments are fighting this bubble. They just they print trillions now, not not billions anymore a month, trillions to fight the bubble. But it, it, it's a losing battle. And I see that the stock market looks to me like it's peaking right now in August. It may hang on to like I used to think it would go to the election with all the stimulus. No, the market's looking to me like it's it's peaking now in mid-August or late July, mid-August. Um, the stock market is the leading indicator in this crash, unlike the GFC, the Great Financial Recession, where real estate, particularly in the United States and Spain and Ireland, were the leading indicators of the downturn. Bad loans failing. I mean, in the U.S., you guys were better than us on this. People were buying houses with no money down, no income. I mean, it, beyond stupidity okay and you know what everybody said it's okay interest rates are low the economy's going up you can't go wrong buying real estate <laughs> when somebody says you can't go wrong doing anything short the markets okay that's my advice that's that's why joseph kennedy shorted stocks in late 1929 because shoeshine boys were telling him you can't go wrong buying general motors or Ford, or RCA, which were the fangs of that time. So that's what happened. If you see this as a bubble and see that you have gotten a great gift, which you do not deserve, your home is not worth a million dollars, you idiot. Your business is not worth $3 million. Maybe it's worth a million. Sell it and reinvest after the economy goes into a natural, healthy, and I'm, you see, healthy correction. I, I heard, I was watching this uh, crime show, NCIS or whatever in the US, and somebody said something to the medical examiner, like, oh, I caught a cold. The examiner took their head off and said, you don't catch a cold, are you stupid? You can catch a virus. You can catch something like that from the outside. A cold is coming from the inside of your body telling you you need to rebalance and get rid of excess toxins and stuff in your body. It's a healthy thing. You should cooperate with that cold. You should drink more water, take zinc and vitamin C, whatever. Stay in bed for a few days and let your body get healthy again. The central banks since 2009 have stopped any deleveraging of our economy, any deleveraging of bad debts and zombie companies. And back in 
13, people don't realize this in the United States, the Federal Reserve was created as the first central bank since the 1850s, like for many, many decades. And you know what they did? They kept pumping the economy, kept avoiding coals, suppressing coals, and ended up with pneumonia called the Great Bubble Boom of 1929, the Great Depression. That's what we have here. We have a bubble. I, I get criticized every day, Tony. I'm like the bubble hater and people hate me for hating the bubble because people are sitting on their ass on their couch with their 65-inch TV, which would have cost $10,000 10 years ago, with their home going up 20% a year and stocks going up 30% a year, thinking, Harry, what's wrong with this? Don't tell me that this bubble is something wrong. I love it. I'm like, wake up. You're the idiots. I've never been more convicted in my life. This bubble's gonna burst so bad that people will not know what happened to them. They, their million dollar home will all of a sudden be worth two to 300,000 with their mortgage underwater. And we already went through this in the US, by the way, you Aussies. And they're like, what happened? And then they'll realize, oh, it was a bubble. Oh, Wall Street created this, governments created this. And we, you didn't create this. I'm telling you, all you can do is recognize it's a bubble and get the hell out of the way of it. If you do, everything will work in your favor. If you don't, you will not have a penny to your name three years from now is what I'm telling you. Because your darling freaking house in Sydney and Melbourne will be worth 20 to 40% of what it is today. Really, that low? Uh, That's a word. That's on the high end. A two, million, homes, a two million dollar 20, home would be 50%. worth 80%. So $2 million. But when you have an 80% mortgage, you're underwater at yeah. just 20% down. I say real estate in Australia, and I have a model for this. I have a chart that measures Japan and US and Australia. You have the best demographics, but even on your demographics, your real estate and Martin North. Have you heard of Martin North? The only sane guy in all of Australia. Okay, that's what I'll say. Other than me, and I'm not from Australia. I'd like to be, but I'm not. He says, Australia real estate's overvalued 40%. That's what my model says. Overvalued 42% for what it should be. And if it's gonna bubble up this much, it's gonna go down probably more like 50%. The US model was overvalued, my model, 21% in 2006 before the 34% contraction. So, and now my model saying the US is overvalued like Australia, 40%. So probably a 50% contraction. Now again, Melbourne, Sydney, high end, more. Uh, Brisbane, a little less, Adelaide. Adelaide's not gonna go down as much as the rest of Australia because Adelaide's like Omaha where Warren Buffett lives. It's boring. It's every day. I would, not, I would not rush to sell my everyday house in Adelaide. And Perth has been hit by the commodity crash, which I predicted. It's a 30-year cycle like a clock. So it's not as overvalued. But Brisbane, Melbourne and Sydney, and then after that, Brisbane, yeah, 30, think 30 to 50% down on your house. If you're happy with that, then sit through it. I would not sit through a 30, 50% decline in my house. I would sell it 
rent for a few years, and then buy back the same wonderful house at a half a million instead of a million. What's wrong with that as a strategy? That's what I did in the U.S. I sold my house in Miami in two, late 2005 at the top of the bubble, which peaked in early 2006. In my newsletter, I said this bubble is peaking and people said I was crazy. Like when I said 1989 that Japan was peaking, it was going to decline for 14 years. My house, the house I moved to, I rented, I was paying half the cash flow of owning, and then it went down from $2 million to $1 million in two years. My, I had to trick my wife into renting instead of buying. She didn't want, nobody wants to rent. A couple and, years later, she's like, oh my God, Harry, <laughs> you're, you're, you know. So have you done that again? You're, this the, you're the man. Have you done that again this time? Have you sold again? No, I never bought. Well, I didn't know. buy in the last bulb. Now, I do have a property off an island off of Puerto Rico where I moved for, for a lot of reasons. It wasn't for tax purposes, but taxes are huge. It's going from 25 to 5 acres owning. Mm -hmm. I now have five lots instead of one. You know what that does to real estate, right? Okay. So that's the only property I own. I have been renting my primary house ever since late 2005 and happy to do it. Things go wrong. The air conditioning blows up. The sprinkler system fails. I don't have to pay for it. And real estate has not gone up since 2005. Adjusted for inflation is actually lower than today and will go a lot lower ahead. So I decided real estate is not, now listen to this, is not, not an appreciating asset when you adjust for inflation. 150 years of, of history, Robert Schiller proves it. If you adjust for inflation, there's two things that have zero gains long-term. Guess what they are? The two favorites of all people, gold and real estate. Zero real returns adjusted for inflation. Stocks go up. Bonds go up, not real estate, not gold. People, I am telling you, people, listen to me. I'm like you. I'm just an everyday person that found stuff by accident. Wake up. You're an idiot. If you think gold is going to save you, you're going to be wrong. If you think real estate is the only safe asset, and you know who thinks that more than you Australians? Chinese. You know how much Chinese have of their net worth in real estate? 78 freaking percent. Mm. And the difference between Australian and Chinese real estate, other than China's only more overvalued place than you on the earth, is that China has 22% urban homes empty. Empty. And the real estate's a bubble. Mm. The Chinese are going to get what Beavis and Butthole would call the great cornholio. Mm. <laughs> and you're going to be second. I'm telling you this. I know, you can say I'm crazy. I had people from my newsletter just two weeks ago tell me all their friends telling them I'm crazy for telling them to sell their Australian real estate. And you know what I told those people? I study history. If you've studied history, even one hundredth of what I've studied, 
I have the right to call you an idiot for talking bubble logic and saying, oh, it's a bubble and there's nothing wrong and it can't go down. I also told the same people, if we go three years from now, late 2022, early 2023, when my cycles are at their worst in our lifetime and we don't see a bubble burst, then you can call me an idiot. Until now, you're an idiot. I will stand by that. You're an idiot. I am not the idiot here. You should listen to me because I have done my freaking homework and I've studied history and every bubble in stocks, in real estate, people talk just like people in Australia. Oh, real estate's the best thing. You can't go wrong buying it. It only goes up. They're not making any more of it. No, you're wrong. Real estate in the best areas goes down the most every time. Bubbles burst. So and the greatest, greater the bubble, the greater the burst. Period. So it sounds like stockpiling cash at the moment is the should be the highest priority. And yeah. do, do you know that? Um, so you must watch some of the great investors around the world. Are that is that what they're doing at the moment? Are they selling and stockpiling their cash ready to buy up? Well, you know, I would have to say, Tony, the best investment managers, Ray Dalio is getting in more cash, even Warren Buffett. I think Warren Buffett's a, 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 an idiot myself. He made all his money in the 60s and 70s. He, he hasn't been outperforming for a long time. He's a nice guy in Omaha, but he doesn't know his ass from a hole in the wall. And everybody thinks that everybody will ask Warren Buffett, who should I marry? Uh, what's the, you know, they'll, they'll, he's the oracle of Omaha. He doesn't know his ass from a hole in the wall. He knows how to pick value-oriented stocks. And that he's a genius at. But he's, <laughs> there are no more value-oriented stocks, okay, in, since in this bubble. So... I look at people that actually at a time in history, you can be a genius. That, that's what, I, what we did at Bain & Company. We went into companies that used to succeed and dominate their markets with the last generation, the Bob Hope generation, and they were failing with the new baby boomers and losing market share, and they were idiots. They were geniuses, now they were idiots. We just helped them see, here's the new trend. That's all I do. I can tell you what's, go what's growing, and not going to grow anywhere in the world, any city, anywhere for the rest of your lifetime and your kid's lifetime. Why wouldn't people want to listen to that? They don't, Tony. They don't want to listen to it because they think that's not possible. I'm sorry about that, but it is possible. And I saw the collapse of Japan in 1989 before anybody saw it. I saw the great boom in the 90s and the bubble. I'm and, and people now are calling me a perma bear. I'm like, what? <laughs> somebody calls me a perma bear. That's an it. If somebody calls me a perma bear, you can write them off as an idiot right there. I've been the most bullish person of this entire generation. Greatest boom in history back in the 80s. But every boom peaks and every bubble particularly peaks and then collapses. No two ways about it. History is 100 percent crystal clear on this. If you don't see that, you're the idiot. If you think this boom can keep going because governments, <laughs> here was my favorite thing, Tony. I, I was in uh, 2007 in Dubai giving a speech at some giant Arab conference, overpaid. Um, you know, these head things as far as you can see. And I told them, you're in a bubble in Dubai and it's gonna collapse.
And everybody in that audience, everybody after me got him said, Harry doesn't understand Dubai real estate because the government will not let it go down. And when they said the government will not let it go down, then I doubled down. I said, then I'm even more sure real estate collapsed 45% in one year after I spoke at that conference. And everybody said, you don't understand Arab real estate. You don't understand Dubai. No, I understand bubbles. Bubbles are BS, bullshit. If a property was worth 200,000 one day and 10 years later, the same stupid trailer-like house is worth a million dollars in Sydney or Melbourne, then it's a bubble, period. There's no reason, no way to substantiate that that same house that you could rebuild its similar cost, maybe two, three, four, five percent higher, would be worth five times its value 10 years later. If you don't see that's a bubble, you're the idiot. You're the dumb poker player that everybody's looking to take your money from the table. So there must End be, there must be a, a sequence of things. So your property that was worth two million, the next day it's worth one million. Your mortgage is 1.2 million, so therefore you're 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 underwater you're underwater but you still might have a job or you may not have a job because the market's gone into turmoil um you then have to um rent um and try and sell your property for a loss um what uh, do you see a series of sequence of events harry that uh, things will kind of play out in a certain way or or once that bubble kind of breaks that that it can go in many different directions what's your thoughts no, no, you know, there's really, Tony, one direction sooner or later. You have to write off bad debts. If a bank lent you $800,000 against a trailer wannabe piece of crap house in Sydney or Melbourne that really should be worth 200000 by historical standards of replacement costs and rental values and stuff, and they lent you that money, they should lose on their loan. If they lose, now here's the good part. I have people come to me and here's the big mistake. People will come to me and say, oh, Harry, okay, I kind of get what you're talking about. I've got this house, which is paid off with no mortgage left. I'm going to keep that house, but I got this other house that I just bought, a vacation house, 90% mortgage. I'm going to sell that and get rid of the debt. I'm like, no, sell the house with all the equity and take all the cash out of it, the loan that is against 90%, somebody who gave you 90% of a house that is not worth that is going to have to eat half of that. You're, gonna, you're probably in this deleveraging in the next few years going to get your mortgage written down and oh, get really? a gift. I want to sell the house that has all equity and is worth more and bubbled up more because the greater the bubble, the greater the burst. I want to keep the house that's not as bubbly and has a big mortgage against it because I may get half that mortgage forgiven for free. Right. Oh, 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 yeah. Now you're talking. So you have to understand people, a bubble creates values that are unreal. If you sell at those unreal values, you've already made huge gains like like Joseph Kennedy, okay, or General Motors is, is a company. Um, when that bubble bursts, you're going to be able to buy the same business, the same real estate on the bay in Sydney or on the beach, you know, in Melbourne, you know, for 
20, 30, 40, 50%. <laughs> it's a sale of a lifetime. Everything's going to be on sale. I'm saying two to three years now. Everything. Businesses, stocks, the best companies, real estate, the best real estate. And people, the, the worst thing I get, Tony, is the richest people in the world are the dumbest right now. They tell me every day, Harry, I got the best flat on Manhattan, you know, on South Central Park. I got the best flat in London. This will never go down because the richest people like me will always buy this. And I'm like, you're an idiot. You're rich. Don't confuse <coughs> brains with a bull market, especially not a bubble. You are rich. People like you are paying $20,000 a square foot for this piece of shit box over central Manhattan that is not even have as good a view as I have in Puerto Rico, in San Juan, at $500 a square foot instead of 10 or 20,000. You're the idiot. You're paying it because everybody else is paying it and you think they'll always buy this piece of shit box in the sky with high maintenance fees forever. You don't understand. You know what I do when I see these people? I try, I keep it with me, I try to play the video of Ted Turner in 2002 on CNN, which he invented and sold to AOL and then got AOL stock. And guess what happened to AOL stock 2000, 2002 in the last tech bubble? Mm -hmm. Leading companies, 90% down, 89%. He went from 10 billion net worth to 1 billion in two years. And he's on, on CNN, oh, you know, I can't save the buffalo now. Jane Fonda won't have sex with me anymore. You know, like Bill Clinton, you know. And people are like, Ted, you're still worth a billion dollars. I'm like, no, I'm with Ted. He lost 90% of his net worth. Is that guy going to buy the 250 million new condo in Manhattan after he lost 90% of his freaking <laughs> billions? No. Wealthy people don't get that they've made the most money on this bubble. They may be smart, but they also lucky to have invested in anything, including Warren Buffett, including Ray Dalio, any great manager, any great entrepreneur in this period. Whatever you did was inflated 10 times in this bubble. Don't confuse brains with a bull market. And don't think the smartest people like you will be have the money to buy these stupid ass apartments and condos from Sydney to Melbourne to Manhattan to London, Hyde Park and Singapore, they will go down the most. I tell people, you're stupid ass real estate. You dumbass rich person is going to go down the most. And you know what? They think I'm an idiot. I will let time judge that. Yeah. Again, I give them, I, I give anybody three years. Give me three years. If we do not see this real estate bubble in Sydney in Melbourne, in China, the worst, and Singapore, and California, and New York, and London, and blah, 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 all the greatest places that everybody wants to live in the world with English-speaking education for immigrants that want to improve their way of life and launder their money out of China. Oh, oh, why are the Chinese richest people laundering their money out of China? Because they know it's going to go down. It's the biggest bubble. U.S. was the biggest bubble in 1929. China's the biggest bubble today in the world. All of East Asia bubbled up 
like the U.S. and Canada, North America did in the, in the early 1900s. We were the center of that bubble. You know what? We had the greatest bubble. We had the greatest burst. We lost the most money. The city in the world that went down the most was, guess who? New York. Omaha? San Francisco? No. Manhattan. New York. 61% and took 25 years to get back to those values, hmm. like the stock market. Yeah. Went down 89%. Hong Kong would be pretty, in there pretty, um, like the worst of, of all of China, I would say. Hong Kong, you just nailed it, Tony. Hong Kong is the most overvalued city in as the independent and free market part, which is losing quickly, of China. And China is the most overvalued country, price to income, price to rents, any measure you want to take it. And you know who's second? Australia and then Canada. Really? And then UK and then California. Mm. You guys are going down. Sell, put lipstick on that pig that you live in and sell it, and you will be a happy camper and be able to buy a house like that back or a vacation house, whatever you sell at a fraction of the cost mm. years from now. And, and now you, you said details and forecasting stocks only take two to three years to crash in a major deleveraging like this. Late 29 to late 32, uh, early 2000 to late 2002 in the last tech wreck. So I, I've, I've pegged from the beginning, even before I saw the full bubble, that stocks will be at their lowest value in our lifetimes in late 2022. And if I had to give you a month, just guessing, it'd be December 2022, very end of 2022. Is when stocks will be at their lowest? The lowest. Now, stocks or the leading indicator this time. Stocks are leading this downturn. Real estate led last time, especially in the US and Spain and Ireland, which were the most terrible lending. I mean, just crazy lending stuff. You, did, you guys didn't do that. Canada did not do that. That's why you didn't have as big a bubble burst and your demographics are better. But this time you're the most overvalued. So stocks are leading this downturn. If I am right, and stocks are peaking here in August, or at the latest by the election, if Donald J for genius, Trump, gets reelected, which I see almost no chance, but it doesn't matter. Things will go down next year. Stocks are leading in the care. Real estate will follow. So I tell people, okay, if you got money in stocks, you should get out now. I, I don't care if you get another five or 10 percent. Just get the hell out, okay? It, it, bubble, 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 farther than anybody thought. If you're in real estate, take the, the stock market as your leading indicator. If the stock market starts to crash again, like it did in February and March, if we see another crash like that, which I think we will into later this year, then you, then you need to get serious to sell your real estate because people will think erroneously, and the Chinese are the worst at this, and, the, and Australians are the second worst in the world. And I talk people around the world, okay? I know the dumb people from the smart people. Australians and Chinese are the dumbest people about real estate, period. No question about it. You think you're smart about real estate? You're an idiot, and I'm telling you that right now. Wake up. Real estate will follow stocks on maybe three to six months. So take that. And real estate takes longer to sell. I can sell my stocks even if I miss the top and it's down 20%. I'll sell it on a bounce and get out. Okay. In a minute, you can't sell high-end real estate like that. It, it locks up. I was in the best 
neighborhood in Tampa, Florida. All the sports stars lived there. We were there not for the sports stars because it was down the street from my wife's mother she had to caretake. And it was a really nice neighborhood. When the, stop, when the bubble burst in 2006-07, that neighborhood held up for the first six months. And everybody said, oh, this neighborhood will never go down. Why? Derek Jeter lives here. The best, the smartest people live here. They will not sell. They No. <coughs> when it went down, there was no sales in that neighborhood for three years. Not one sale of 400 houses in this high-end neighborhood. It crashed and burned the worst when it finally did. So the stock market, if you're in real estate, Australia, anywhere. And, and by the way, one of the indicators that the market's going to fail is that you have this rebound and the broad markets don't catch up with the tech markets, which they're barely doing in the U.S. Australia, look at your stock market. Look at your stock market. You have no chance of making a new, no chance in hell of making a new high. It's over for you. Take that when the stock market turns down again in the next few months or so as a sign. Now you need to sell whatever real estate. Hey, if you got an everyday home in Adelaide, fine. You know, you got a place outside of Perth, already been ravaged by the commodity bus, maybe okay. You got a high-end home on the beach or the bay in Melbourne or Sydney or Brisbane, get the hell out of it. Sell it. I don't care how much you love. If you want to live it forever, fine. If I were to tell you it's going to go down 50% and you'd be underwater for the rest of your life, would you still love that home? Okay, then you can make the decision. Here, here, here's my thing, Tony. Here, here's a good thing, and I've been doing this in the U.S. for a long time. The U.S. always said, you say, what was your real estate worth when the bubble started in 2000? And that's when the bubble started. Real estate was fairly valued until then. In Australia, I would say 2005 to six. Look at your real estate, whether it be commercial property or your home or your vacation home or your investment property, whatever. Look at what it was worth in 2005 to six. If it drops to those levels, which will be about 40 to 50% in most of Australia, will you be happy to keep the real estate? If, first of all, if it drops that much and you're happy, then you're probably a little retarded. But if you love it so much and you really do want to keep it for the rest of your life, okay, that's okay. You should just know it could drop that much. Nobody in Australia thinks a high-end property in Melbourne or Sydney could go down 50%. And you know what? In 2017-18, already went down 10 to 20% high-end. Uh, that's the appetizer. The main course is coming. Mm -hmm. So if you think that way, if you look at what, look at how much your real estate, okay, another principle, how do you recognize a bubble? The same thing with no extra value is now selling for two to three times the price it was 10, 15 years ago. Uh, wake up. That's a bubble. Yeah. I don't care if you're the queen of Sheba or if it's, you know, the Tokyo, the, you know, the, the down the road from the Royal palace. That's bullshit. Nothing's worth that. If something went up two to three times in, in stocks and in some real estate, five to six times. Oh, oh, China real estate. You know how much Shanghai's gone up in the last 20 years? Eight times. Same piece of crap house, condo in Shanghai is now worth eight times what it was. Mm. 
if you don't think that's a bubble, you're an idiot. Mm. And you call me an idiot, I'm calling you an idiot, and we'll see who wins this war. I will not lose this war. You're the idiot. If you think the same stupid-ass house or condo in Sydney or Shanghai or Singapore or San Francisco or Manhattan on Central Park is worth five times what it was or eight times what it was 10, 20 years ago, you're an idiot. And you should sell that and thank God that you got this graceful gain out of nowhere that you did not deserve while you're sitting on your ass on your couch watching your 75 inch TV, which would have cost $10,000 10 years ago. And now is 700 bucks and your home's going up 20%. Your stock's going up 30% and you think you're a genius. Thank God that you got this graceful moment in life for no reason that you did not deserve. Take your money, cash in. What you said was the key thing, Tony. Turn financial assets that are massively overvalued. Uh, let me give you an example. You know how many, all the financial assets in the world are worth? I've had to work on this for years. I finally got a good number. $457 trillion. Five to six times global GDP. You know what financial assets should be worth versus GDP? Two times. Right. So you add it up. If we have $457 trillion that just deleverages down to uh, still a slightly overvalued $200 trillion, $200 plus trillion is going to disappear. And who owns those assets? Is it Homer Simpson? Is it the everyday person? No, it's rich people like you watching this show. You're the idiots. You're the dumb money. You're the shoeshine boys. Fortune 100 companies are buying back their own stocks in the greatest bubble in history, leveraging their earnings. They're the shoeshine boys. The richest people I talk to. I can talk everyday people out of real estate or stocks, especially stocks. I cannot talk the richest people. I have not talked one rich person in this world out of selling their marvelous flat in London or Sydney or Manhattan or Singapore. Not one. The rich people are the dumb money because they confuse brains with a bull market, a bubble. So we're going to have to wrap it up. Um, it, this could go on for like another three hours. I'm, it's, sure. it's just so interesting. But um, got another book coming out? Is there, do I need to let everyone know that something's coming down the pipeline? What's happening? Well, you know, you know I have been working on a new book, but I think I'm going to delay it until the crisis happens because people still think I'm an idiot. Okay. You fight a bubble. And they say, but Harry, it keeps going up. And, oh, you don't understand Australian real estate. And I'm like, no, I I'm sorry. I I'm not wrong about this. It's just a matter of time. So I'm going to wait. And then the next book is not going to be about the forecast of the next great boom, which it'll be. It'll be about how I tripped on my methodology, how I found it by accident and kept digging. When I couldn't explain something, I kept digging. How I tripped on the greatest forecasting methodology in history. And you know what? In my realm, an economist, nobody has it. Nobody even thinks it's possible. In the scientist realm, I'm, I'm a nobody. I mean, they do this stuff, you know, like, you know, on a Sunday morning. They can predict when the sun's going to burn out five billion years from now, okay? Scientists. I learn the most from scientists. But the truth is you can see the key trends. And, and if you can see the trend right now, Tony, real quick. I can take gold 
versus the commodity complex, which it goes with up and down every 30 years, it's 100% overvalued, 100%. Stocks are, in February at the peak, 120% overvalued. They've never been overvalued. I can take, here's what it should be in reality. Here's what it is. And then you can make better decisions on that. So, so the next book's probably going to come out in 2021. And it'll be something on the line of reinventing economics. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to... I, all my books have been the great boom ahead or the great depression ahead, you know, whatever, you know, prediction. This is going to be more importantly, how you can see the key economic trends will affect your life, your business, your kids, your family, your investments over the rest of your lifetime today. Damn it. I can tell you we're headed in the biggest downturn of our lifetimes in the next two to three years. And the next one I will tell you today for your kids and grandkids will be between 2065 and 2074. I can tell you that today. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you want to know that? Absolutely. Most people Harry, don't want Tony, most people don't want to know it. That's the Harry, it's, it's been so great having you on, on board today. And uh, what a download. Uh, I'm sure everyone's going to want to uh, read more, listen more. And congratulations on, on a decades of of success, it must must feel very satisfying to be um, forecasting that far out and to be able to see those things happen as the yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, don't miss this live stream in August. I mean, again, you're not just going to get me. You're going to get Martin North. Martin North is not my favorite real estate analyst in Australia. He's my favorite in the world. I wish I could bring him to the U.S. He's so good. And Robert Kiyosaki, the best-selling personal finance author in all of modern history, never before. So don't miss this on August 30th. Yeah, and the URL again, so everyone can um, watch it is crisis. What was it? Yeah, crisislivestream.com. Good on you. Harry, thank you so much. And we look forward to catching up with you again in the future. Yeah, thank you, Tony. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces, and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au. Thank you.